in our family, we have a number of traditions, like any other family, and we're always passing down our traditions down and our stories of God's faithfulness to the next generation. Now, Peter started this tradition of one chapter that's entitled Life Before and After the Fall. And Peter started it many years ago with falling from a two-storied um, uh, house onto a concrete floor, and I've continued it with a much smaller chapter. But life before and after the fall. Now, it's applicable today for a good reason. I actually was on speaking a month ago or more, and I had a message that I had prepared very diligently. It was almost ready before I did this, this jolly arm injury. And um, that was the message before the fall. I have a new message after the fall, which I'm sharing with you today. A few weeks ago, um, Trevor shared with us two weeks ago, I think it was, on happiness and all about what happiness is all about. And you know, it's in the deepest part of our being, our soul, that we experience either contentment and happiness or turmoil and frustration. And theologically, we used to just divide it between the spirit, the soul, and the body. But in talking to Andre, it's not quite that clear. It's a bit more merged than that. But whatever it is, we know that there's something about the deep, innermost part of our being that needs to find God and know God. I remember going to a conference a number of years ago, and we were all dressed suitably for this conference, um, appropriately, and this woman just walked into the audience amongst us and sat bang down in the middle, and she had this like ascot hat on, and she had flowers that were flying all over the place, and she was so colourful, more colourful than this cast. She was an amazing. We wondered what on earth this woman was doing in our audience. She just didn't, st she didn't fit at all. It turned out that she was the plenary speaker on the subject of happiness. Are you aware that you could actually, there is a degree now in the science of happiness? You can get a PhD on the science of happiness. You can also do, there's a whole department on the economics of happiness. What difference does it make to our life if in the deepest, most important part of our being, we are content and find fulfillment despite what our circumstances are? As I, um, I was reading about a lady who went on a, on a trip overseas and actually was studying this sort of subject in children. And she came back perplexed because children living in poverty seem to have a higher quality of contentment than teenagers in New Zealand. She came back to her, um, her husband's, uh, husband's uh, sister who was struggling with anorexia nervosa and about to die almost from a condition of deep, internal um, reflection that caused her so much grief. And she came up with an organisation that she now has, which is called GEM, which centres on gratitude, empathy, and mindfulness, being present in the circumstances of life. My message today is from a text in Matthew, so well known, but we're going to unpack it today and just pull it apart at many different levels. In Matthew 11, 28 to 30, Come to me, and thank you, Rebecca, for opening up the introduction to this message. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The invitation God gives us in this verse is to come. 
In the Bible, there are many other adjectives used like go, give, serve, heal, preach. But one of the most important and profoundly changing in our lives as followers of Jesus is when he says, come. Jesus didn't say, come to religion. He didn't say, come to spirituality. He didn't say, even come, dare I say it, to church. No, instead, he said, come to me. The questions in life, actually, that matter most are very few. And most of them are simply resolved by Jesus saying, come. Come back to me. Come to me in the middle of whatever turmoil is in your life at the moment. Come to me when you feel it's just all beyond you. Come to me in all the circumstances of life. And yet, unless I stand alone, there's something inside us that often so stubbornly prefers not to come and to wait until we're just really at the end of our resources before we take that invitation. So many times we look at our lives and think, if only I had come earlier. If only I had come earlier. There's a wonderful quote that says, Christianity began on the Palestinian soil as a relationship with a person. It unfortunately moved to the Greek soil and became a philosophy. And then it moved on to the Roman soil and became an institution. It moved on to the British soil and became a culture and to the American soil, and apologies for any Americans amongst us, it became an enterprise. Now, Christianity is actually a philosophy, the most coherent and encompassing of all philosophies. It's also, Christianity is an institution, the most redemptive and the most life-giving of all institutions, and is also a culture, the most inclusive and the most transformational of any cultures that could ever be. Come to me, all you who are weary. There's something about a deep inner weariness of the soul, a very core of our being, that at times when we're just broken, at times when there's loneliness, isolation and pain, we just get weary on the inside. Come to me, all you who are weary and overburdened. Now, this is an interesting subject in the Greek. There are two in English. We just have an active and a passive tense. So if you take the word wash, you say either I wash or I am washed, but more difficult at the moment. But what that third tense actually is about is more a different one. It said, I wash myself. In the Greek, when it says, come to me, all you who are weary and overburdened, it says, come to me, all who are weary and have overburdened themselves. All you who have overburdened yourself. Now, maybe again, I'm unique, but there's many times in life where I just realize I have overburdened myself. I've not been wise in the way I've been working or thinking or acting. And a lot of what it is, is I've brought some of that onto myself. But even then, God says, Jesus says, come to me. Just come. I don't really mind how you've overburdened yourself, but just come. Come to me. Oswald Chambers says in a quote that Jesus in many ways doesn't have a lot to say to those without agony. 
like the Pharisees and the Sadducees who always thought they had life made up. They knew where they were going. They didn't have any need of God. But Jesus has a lot to say to those of us where we have an agony inside our soul that deeply needs him into our lives and in the innermost part of our being. Come to me and I will give you rest. Again in the Greek, it literally means come to me and I will rest you. There's something about God when he gives instructions. It's not just to say, go there and do that. He says, I want to be actively part and participate in the process of you finding rest. I'm not going to give you just a script. I'm not going to write you out a script and say, go away and take that. In my role, I often say, I get patients coming to me who says, look, the doctor just gave me a script and said, take it. He never told me how to take it, why to take it, or what it'll do to my body. Can I please ask you? And when I know, I'll be able to take it more confidently. And when Jesus say, says, I will rest you, he doesn't just say, go away and find it for yourself. He wants to work the journey with you. He wants to be right there in the middle of it. In the Amplified Bible, Matthew 11, verse 28 says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and overburdened, and I will cause you to rest. It means I will ease and relieve and refresh your soul. Now, just imagine if you could imagine what the person next door to you is thinking as I give this message. I don't want you to be thinking about that person. I want you to be thinking of your own inner turmoil, your own need for, for soul rest, your own need to find that place where your equilibrium is brought back into place and you can know that rest. Now, for those of us who are maybe a little bit uh, younger than 35, um, it's, you know, you're not looking for rest. You're looking for activity. You don't want to be sort of calmed and sent to bed and say, for heaven's sake, hey, come to me and I'll give you rest. I guarantee that this part of our audience would say, yeah, that's not exactly what I'm looking for. And you know, in reality, that's not what God is saying either. He's saying, let me take you, let me work with you, not a rest that will stay you and settle you and put you back to bed and give you a nana nap. No, a, re a rest that will get you invigorated, that will get you enlivened with hope and with purpose and with destiny so that you'll go out and fulfill all that God has for your life, every single part of your life. Rest, true rest for the soul cannot be found outside of God. Come to me, all you who are weary and overburdened, and I will rest you. I will lead you into a wholeness for which your life was intended. I will live, um, lead you into a wholeness for which I originally created you. Now, how do we find that rest for the soul? The question is how. And as I said, God doesn't just go out there and give us a prescription and say this is what to do. He also shows us how to find that rest. Now, it's an unusual solution that God gives us to how to find rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Now, I don't know if it's just me, but I have very many pictures in my mind of oxen harnessed together with a yoke that does not look like fun and in fact they're doing it for a reason and it's normally because they're tilling the soil behind them and that sounds like a lot of work 
But God says to us, Jesus says to us, take my yoke upon you. It's not a tui ad, yeah, right. It actually is significant. And I want to unpack this morning a little bit about yokes. What is the visual image that you have of a yoke, and how can I change that to being a biblical image? Now, to be honest, the people in Israel at the time would probably have also thought this was a bit of a tuiad and a joke. Um, for the first century Christians, they would have responded the same way. Now, a leisurely picnic on the, on the banks of the Jordan, maybe, maybe floating down the Red Sea without having to actually use anything to keep you buoyant, and maybe actually a holiday in, the, in Lebanon might have been a temptation. But Jesus said, no, I want you to take a yoke, and I want you to learn how to wear it. There are three facts about a yoke that I want to explain today. First of all, we're all wearing a yoke today. There is not one person in the audience today that is yokeless. You all have a yoke. Interesting? It's a little bit like, how do you, you, we all need to become a disciple. But you know, it's the same sort of concept. You're a disciple of something now. You're following something now, whether it's Jesus or not. Whether the yoke that you're wearing now is his yoke or another yoke that you've placed upon yourself. The question is not, are you wearing a yoke, but which yoke are you wearing? And it's all about switching yokes. It's switching the things that burden us down that we've allowed ourselves to become overburdened with and shifting it to the yoke that Jesus says, I want you to wear. And thirdly, it's all about wearing a yoke, it's all about switching yokes, and it's all about the fit. It's all about the fit. Jesus says that even though your mind might say this is unusual, the yoke is easy to bear. It is fitting. It is actually appropriate for you. In Matthew 11 verse 30, it says, For my yoke is wholesome, useful and good. My yoke is not harsh, hard, sharp or pressing, but it's comfortable, it's gracious and it's pleasant. And my burden is light and easy to be borne. So often we just read scriptures. I mean, this, this passage of scripture you must have read a million times, but how often have you unpacked it as to what the yoke is? And why is it easy to, be bear, to bear? Why is it not uncomfortable like this darn cast, which I'd like to cut off every night when I go to bed? Why is it not something that just fits me and I just feel at ease at wearing What was Jesus' yoke? Well, you may not have asked your question this question before. You may have assumed that you knew what the yoke was. But I want you to stop for a minute and think with me. There are two important things that Jesus said about his yoke that he wore. He said, it, he, he called it my yoke. Something that not only is he asking us to wear, but he wears himself. This is a key, is the yoke is something that he wears himself, and it can be seen by others that saw and worked and lived with Jesus in his time down on earth. It was visible. You might have only had to be closer to him to see it, but if you were part of the disciples, if you were part of the inner circle, or even if you were in a crowd like this today, people could pick up the yoke. They could visibly 
tangibly feel it. And another point about it is that Jesus said he has worn that yoke for all of eternity. All of eternity, Jesus was harnessed in this yoke. He wore it from before creation, from before the time that he took on flesh and blood and came down to our earth, and he wore it for the whole of his time on earth, and Jesus wears that yoke now in eternity in heaven. What is this yoke that, refreshes, that he says refreshes him, that brings him great joy and great purpose, and that is something that he wants us to share and to wear. Well, like many other passages in Scripture, when we start to tease them and, un and pull them out, we often take those verses completely out of context and pop them over here, and we've got no idea what verses came before or after them. Those very famous verses we read, if I asked you to close your Bibles and not look at them now, would you know what the verses that before that actually were about? Would you actually know them? Would you actually have read them many times? Certainly not as many as the ones that those ones that we read out at the beginning. But the key to what the yoke is, is found in the verses that proceed. Jesus says in the verses that proceed, Father, I thank you that you are Lord and supreme ruler over heaven and earth, and that you have hidden the great revelation of your authority from those who are proud and wise like the Pharisees and think of themselves in their own eyes as being, being having it all together. Instead, you have shared it with those who humble themselves before you. Matthew 11, 26 to 27 says, and this is the key to finding out what the yoke is. Father, your plan delights your heart. As you've chosen this way to extend your kingdom, to giving it to those who become like trusting children. This is out of the Passion Translation. You have instead, says Jesus, entrusted me with all that you are and all that you have. And no one fully and intimately knows the Son except the Father. And no one fully and intimately knows the Father except the Son. But the Son is able to unveil the Father to anyone he chooses. The verses that unlock what this yoke is. Jesus says, come to me and take my yoke upon me. It actually emerges out of his prayer. O oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, I praise you. Jesus' call for us to take his yoke upon us emerges out of his sheer and total worship of his Father. I praise you that you've hidden these things from the wise and that you allow them to be revealed to those like babies, like children. And it emerges out of us affirming that all things have been handed over to you, my Father, and no one except the Son ex knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. The key to understanding what the yoke that Jesus wants us to put upon us is in those verses of worship, adoration, and trust. It is all about the yoke is the relationship that Jesus had with the Father. The yoke that he wants us to bear is about a relationship that's deep and significant and connects me to the God of the universe. 
It comes from within the conversation of God. It's like in this moment when Jesus pulls himself away and he's just alone in worship and adoration and affirmation to God. It's like suddenly, while he's in this conversation with God, he turns around to you and to me and he says, come and enter the conversation of God. What an immense privilege an invitation to come and enter into the conversation between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, we get so excited when we come to Jesus because our sin has been forgiven, and it has. We come to Jesus and we are so excited that the shame that's weighed us down has been lifted, and we're no longer living under that shame. And even now, as we're in our lives right in this current moment, all of those things are true, but the most significant thing that Jesus did for us was to allow us to come and invite us into the conversation of God. What a privilege. I can sit at the feet of Jesus and hear the Father's heart, not just for my own life so that I will provide, it will provide health and healing, but for the lives of other people. I can be invited into the very conversation of God. And in Jesus' life, his example was that it was in that relationship, that yoke that he asks us to wear, that he's worn for all eternity, that Jesus himself found sustenance, felt, found refreshment, was reiterated what his purpose and destiny was on the face of the earth. And then he could go out and live out there amongst the people, bringing the life of God to everyone. The yoke that Jesus wants us to wear is an invitation to join him in the inner circle, a privilege, a relationship with the Father. The fact that I have been included in the inner circle is just amazing. That I can hear the conversation of God for myself, and that out of this place, I find my own true identity and purpose in God. It's also a place where my wounds are healed. It's a place where my disappointments come into perspective. Where loneliness, just that crushes our soul, our loneliness can be met. And my brokenness can be tenderly made whole. I can be given instructions from that place about my life, what I should be doing with it right now. Every phase in life changes. What do you know God has called you to do at this phase and this season of your life? And why is it different from the season five years ago? Because the relationship with God is alive and real and constantly changing and being updated. He knows my circumstances. He longs to bring me purpose and destiny, no matter what phase of life I'm walking through and no matter what those challenges are. We talked about rest. You know, for many people, the rest is disturbed by anxiety or by depression. That just eats away at the core of our internal soul and robs us of the joy that God gives us. And God says, even in the middle of that, I call you to a relationship with me. Let me heal you. Let me give you wisdom on how to live. Just let me be engaged with your life right in the middle of where it is at this present. Jesus lived the whole of his life 
for an audience of one. He wasn't particularly worried about what you and I thought about him at the time or whether the Pharisees thought he was actually God's son. He lived his life for the audience of one and he calls me to do the same. Where is my life at present? Despite the challenges, despite the agonies at time in my soul, I want to live my life for the audience of one. I want to see the favor of God upon my life. Not so that you can see it. Hopefully it will spread over and be a blessing to you. But I want to do it because I want to be driven by a passion to know that God is engaged in my life and he's leading me to fruitfulness, to purpose and to destiny. I finish with a quote. I haven't even taken a glass of water. I finish with a quote for you to think about from a guy called Dallas Willard. He said, it is being included in the eternal life of God that heals our wounds and allows us to stop demanding anything from God. Ask yourself what else matters on a personal nature once it is clear that I have been included. Father God, we just want to bring our lives to you today. We want to bring any truth or revelation that has come from your word that comes from you today. That we won't just read your word without asking questions. That we will ask those questions and we will read in front of and behind the passages we read. And we will allow you to deeply change and bring revelation to our life. Father God, I thank you for all of us that have been included in the conversation of God. It's not only to bring us to a place of health and healing, it's to allow us to be effective in your kingdom. Uniquely placed because of the gifts you place within each one of us, that we will go out and make a difference and bring the very life of God into our world. In Jesus' name.